Welcome to the Agile Speaker, episode two. And already we're jumping right in at the deep end, straight to delivery. If you listen to episode one, you'll know Marianne talks about the science of communication. We've all been in that room in front of someone who's just a natural. You know, they're on the stage owning it, looking like they were born to do that. But Marianne's adamant that communication is something that can be learned. So I wanted to start with that. What's the big picture? What are we looking to do every time we speak? There are two goals you want to consistently achieve, and that's getting your message across and getting your personality across. And those are two things that we're all doing in relaxed conversation. And so your conversational style is your model of excellence that that I that, that we work on. And there are some fundamental things that go on in conversation that happen completely naturally that many people aren't really aware of and haven't ever really thought about. And this is the science bit, as I like to see it. The first one is pace. And there are a couple of elements to that. I often find that people talk to me and say, um, oh, I get told that I speak a bit too quickly. Or I've been told that I need to slow down. Yeah, and I don't think you've pro- <laughs> I probably told you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, <laughs> but um, it's not very helpful advice. Yes. What do you slow down? What, how, what, how are you speaking too quickly? What's yeah. the problem there? So I have pace separated into two distinct elements. The first one is called your rate of word delivery. And the second one is your rate of idea presentation. Mm-hmm. Now, your rate of word delivery is as unique to use your thumbprint. And we all have a slightly different rate of word delivery from each other. And it's really important that you speak using your natural rate because that's what puts across your energy, your intonations and your voice. Now, if someone said to you, Colin, you need to slow down. If you started talking through your podcast like this, Mm. then chances are you might lose your listeners quite quickly (laughs) because it's like trying to sort of run through mud. You know, you're dragging as you're listening to it. So that part needs to be kept snappy. The rate of idea presentation, now an idea could literally be two or three words that you mentioned, maybe even one word. But it's enough information in your presentation or that you mention in a meeting that causes your listener to have a thought about what you said. Mm -hmm. And every person in the room will have a different thought based on their own experiences. Now, our brains aren't actually that good at listening and thinking at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you come up with this thought-provoking idea and I go off on a bit of a tangent thinking about it, but you carry straight on, I'm going to have missed the rest of what you said because you've rattled on too quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, stop thinking about the idea. I catch up with you later. That's the bit. If someone has told you that you're speaking too quickly or you need to slow down, it's actually the rate of ideas that you're presenting. So personality and message then. On the former, I do love Marianne's point around the fact that your rate of speech, your speaking style, that's you. That's your personality. Don't try to change that. Your audience, whether that's a boardroom or a theatre, they can always tell when you're not being yourself. And you'll connect with them when you're authentic. Your message, though, that's something that you can refine. And that comes down to the rate of idea delivery that Marianne talks about. And everybody's different. 
everybody's different. Some people speak more, you know, the rate of ideas a little bit quicker than others. Different languages, different cultures, that's all different as well. So again, this it does come back to thinking about your audience. Who is the listener? How will they take on board the ideas? And just tailoring it towards them. But I'm sure I really have spoken too fast at a presentation at one time or another. What's Marianne's take on that? I don't think I've ever come across somebody whose rate of words are too fast. What what tends to happen is that if you're under pressure, if you're feeling any stress, if you're excited and really passionate about what you do, it is a combination of the two that the rate of words and rate of ideas combined becomes too much for okay. the audience. Yeah. So it's it tends to be that the guilty party is usually the rate of ideas. Okay. And it's just that if you're terribly excited about something or frustrated even mm-hmm. or you know you're passionate or you're stressed that it just flies at 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. and the listener doesn't get time to keep up. So slow down your ideas, give people time to process it. Pause. <laughs> it's about using silence in between the ideas. Okay. And that is something we all do naturally in conversation. Mm-hmm. And I relate that back in sessions with clients because I probably shouldn't really say it here, but I, I secretly film people <laughs> um, during the sessions when they're not aware that I'm doing it. And so I, I capture people when they are pretty relaxed, chatting yes. to me, which I can then show them back later and say, look, you stopped and thought about that for quite a few seconds. And often the client will say, completely unaware that I was doing that. It just came naturally. So there are pauses that happen throughout our conversation, just sporadically. And some people do it more than others, but they uh, they are a very natural part of our style. So it's really important that those get transferred into the presentation, the pitch or the meeting. I remember that, seeing that natural conversation. And then you demonstrating the pause in front of a group of 10 people and a pause of two seconds, feeling like a pause of a minute. Can you talk through how you make people more comfortable with that, how you make them more aware of the reality of how long a pause is? Well, so the science bit behind that is about how adrenaline distorts your perception of time. So when I ask people to to do longer pauses, that pause often will feel like an eternity. And the natural reaction for the speaker is, I want to keep talking. I want to fill the gap. But the problem that you have is that when adrenaline starts flowing, it distorts your body clock. So uh, time can seem to stand still. Now, anybody that's ever experienced a car accident or fallen off a bike, or maybe they've experienced it during playing sport or watching sport, you get this sensation. I know personal experience having a car accident that that the time that the accident took place felt like an eternity. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, it was probably over in about two or three seconds. So what I do is that I film film clients. They stand there doing all these pauses throughout their presentation. And they sit down and say, that felt so awkward and so uncomfortable and so weird. And there are two things that happen. If I'm working with a group, you often find the rest of the people in the group sit and say, barely notice them. We, you know, they were nothing, they were so short. But also because I film everything, 
when people present and I play it back, that's the key thing. That's when they realise that what felt like an eternity to them is actually really quite natural to the audience. And that's what I call a time perception gap. It's understanding this difference because the listeners are relaxed and they're sitting in real time. You, the presenter, are not so relaxed. You're in perceived time. Do you think you can practice that? Definitely. That feels easily said, not so easily done for me. How do you start to perceive how others experience your talk? And back to the science, what can you do to engineer that calmness, that confidence, that perfect rate of idea delivery that pauses introduce? Possibly putting something in your notes to remind you to pause to remember to do it and where to do it and to think about what parts of your presentation need more impact and more emphasis and then when you're actually practicing it you know I've got I know a lot of clients who record their presentations and then listen back to them so it's a it's about remain remembering that slightly surreal experience of how long the pause feels compared to how it looks Another thing I noticed when Marianne recorded us was that my eyes weren't doing what I thought they were. That's often a worry for presenters too. You know, where are you looking? How should you think about eye contact when you're communicating? We all use it to different extents. You get some people who are far more intense than others. There's a couple of things that may have been going on when you watched yourself back in mm-hmm. our session is that... Uh, when you're being filmed and you watch something played back, you're seeing a very focused version of yourself. So everything you do with your eyes can seem very flitting about the place a bit. But actually when we're sitting in a meeting, you know, if you're around the board table with other people uh, in your in the firm or if you're across the table in a pitch, actually people don't really pick up on where your eyes are actually flitting about to. What they pick up on is more that you drive the eye contact home at the end when you're driving home a point and that shows conviction and confidence in what you're saying. Mm. Actually, there is, I think there's a myth around eye contact where people say the more eye contact you use, the better. But if you take that to logical conclusion, it could be quite creepy. Yes. <laughs> uh, it could be quite intimidating. It can be quite aggressive. Mm. And actually what happens in conversation is that we we tend to look at each other at the beginning of a conversation quite often look away and write notes on your notepad or have a sip of your water or whatever. So long as you come back at the end, then that's all that matters. Quite often, the bit where it really counts is when you make eye contact during the pause. It may be that when you're driving home a point at the end, that you drive at home, you make eye contact and you pause. And that pause, that that moment shows confidence shows you believe what you're talking about through the eye contact. You know, you're looking them in the eye Mm -hmm. and that shows you mean what you're saying. It just makes me think of the times I've presented when nobody seemed to be meeting my eye. What happens in a situation like that? Like, how do you, how do you think about a room where people are not engaging with you or is that important in a talk like that? Yes. And I often think that when you are speaking to a larger group, that those are the situations where, they often feel most uncomfortable. 
in relaxed conversation. So I, I mentioned those two goals at start, message and personality. We're all achieving those two goals through relaxed conversations with family and friends every single day. Now, the reason that we achieve those is that as we're talking to each other, to our listeners, um, as you say something, your listener will probably give you a nod or a signal, whether it's an uh-huh, yep, okay, something like that. They give us these signals and although those signals are affirmative by nature, they don't mean that the listener agrees with what you're saying. All they're doing is giving you a signal to say, okay, I've taken on board your point, carry on. So in fact, conversation is more than this two-way game because what's happening when you're relaxed is that your listener, be it your, your husband, your wife, your partner, your other half, or your kids, they're just giving you a signal to say, I've taken on board a point, carry on. So the conversation is driven by that person. And likewise in meetings at work and, uh, you know, interactive small meetings. Now, when you look at relaxed conversation compared to your more conventional presentation in that situation you just described, the more people that are in the room, the less willing they will be to give you any feedback. And strangely, the, the number of people that I've experienced is that up to about seven people, you tend to still get the nods and the, the ahas and the okays. But as you get to a larger group, the audience loses all responsibility to nod or to give you any feedback at all. And that can be really disconcerting. It makes you feel uncomfortable because you're used to all those nods and signals in every other interaction. But this is where they disappear. And it can make you as a speaker just think, nobody's listening to me. I want to get this over and done with and get back to my seat as quickly as possible. And that can make the speaker then want to just fire out the information like a machine gun firing off and the listener's not getting time to keep up. So that brick wall, that feeling of there being a brick wall between you and the listener is something that really you just have to accept and assume might happen. Um, as disconcerting as it can feel, as long as you understand what's actually going on here, just the difference in the size of audience, it's really just... The way we are in human nature, the way we behave as a crowd of listeners and as a speaker, you have to accept that and not let it get to you. I think there's real power in this. Simply knowing that the audience isn't likely to react, that helps. And in another sense, it can empower you to try something different, to encourage a reaction. And you'll feel even better when you do get that gasp or that laugh or any reaction at all. I wondered though, even knowing this, does Mary Ann ever still get an audience which makes her feel like she's talking to a stone? It does happen from time to time and it's and it's a great experience for me to go through because it's a really good reminder of how it feels. And I had an experience with a law firm in Edinburgh a couple of years ago. It was a breakfast networking seminar, so it was pretty early and there were 40 people in the room and there was one gentleman who took the very furthest away seat in the back row in the corner, which is what I would call an escape seat if you just want to get out of there early. <laughs> and there were 39 other people looking very willing and interested and keen to hear what I was there to talk about. But this one gentleman sat at the back and he sort of slumped down in his seat with his arms crossed and stared at the floor. And I remember standing up there at the beginning and thinking how... Every other person in the room looked interested, but that one gentleman 
really caused a niggle in my brain and my confidence because I thought he just doesn't want to be here. But I thought, it's okay, practice what you preach. Did my 20 minutes, didn't allow that niggle to get to me. And when it came to the Q&A at the end, guess who the first person was to ask me a question? Mr. Disengaged? Mr. Disengaged. <laughs> Not so disengaged, Mr. Very Engaged. After all, yeah. Very specific question about something yeah. I talked about. And I remember you know, having to sort of hide my smile and think, right, taught yourself a lesson there. Don't make judgments about your audience because you don't know what's going on there. And mm -hmm. and just be in mind that it's human nature that in a large crowd, you just don't feel the need to give that really engaged look of feedback. Yeah. There's another side to that, which is you do get people who I call nodders in your audience. And the danger with them is that they're like a magnet to you because they're giving you exactly what you need Mm -hmm. to get confident someone's listening. And so it can be that you feel absolutely drawn to them like a yeah, magnet. Yeah. And you can't let that happen. Yeah, I've experienced that in a, in a big room, actually, with hundreds of people, and you have one person in the front row nodding away at you, and you end up, yeah, exactly, you just concentrate in that quadrant yeah. of the audience, don't you? So the rest of the audience may have been looking yeah. at that person, thinking, why why is he paying all the attention <laughs> to them? So you, so again, it's another of these things where you, you have to really pay attention to the whole group and think, make eye contact at different times to different places in the room, so everybody feels included at some point. The final part of the delivery puzzle for me are notes. Should you have something up there with you as a prompt? Yes, I find that often I think people feel that there's a choice to be made here that either you memorise it so that it comes across conversationally or you have it all written out. But then if it's written out, it can become very grammatical and a bit rigid. Having notes provides you with a really, I think, a sweet spot for what you have um, as your preparation. It allows you to have a plan, to have a route map from start to finish, and it can really help you to feel relaxed. But then the, this is the thing, is how do you actually use them without looking too reliant on them? You really just want to have short thought triggers on your notes. They should just be three or four words, so that all that you're having to do is a quick glance down to them, and that thought trigger sets you off in motion. So there shouldn't be so much that you get really drawn into them. So it's a quick glance down, that thought trigger sets you off in motion and then you can talk through your ideas and then you can have another quick glance down and just keep moving through them like that so that you don't look completely reliant on reading something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the other key thing to being conversational is, as we're all as we're talking right now, if you took a transcript down of what we say, it would look like gobbledygook on mm. paper. <laughs> If you write something out in full, it becomes grammatically correct and, and sentence structures and quite often more formal language, you know, using more complicated words. So it's important that it really is the way that you would speak, conversational, chatty, using words like use rather than utilise, you know, using show instead of demonstrate, using help instead of assist. These are the sort of things I often pick up on with clients that... They're trying to sound more clever. They're trying to sound more credible with big yeah, words. Yeah. But that actually just makes it harder for listeners to take on. And I suppose that happens naturally. When you're in those uncomfortable situations, you do you try and compensate by making yourself bigger? Yeah, <laughs> like I think a mechanism. lot of people do. That's right. Um, but actually, it just causes a problem for the yeah, listener. Yeah. Because really, you just want the words 
to just flow. I mean, I, I often find when I hear a presentation where there's lots of these more complicated words, I feel like I'm driving along the road and I'm hitting speed bumps. Yeah. And the harder you make things for your listener, the less likely it is that they'll actually stay following you and remember everything that you've said. That's it, isn't it? The whole aim of your delivery is to make things easy for your listener to flatten out as many of those speed bumps as you can. Now that means you stop worrying about pace and style, so you come across in a natural way, and instead thinking about your pace of ideas, making sure you're pausing, you're emphasising, you're simplifying to help them understand. I mean, if you help them get it, that's when you come across as your best self and you make a huge impact on the audience. 